Hi, welcome to Black Imagination, where Antoine and I open up our Black space to our Black and Brown friends doing dope things in Milwaukee's arts and culture scene. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast network. So go get out your sage sticks, light some incense, and join the conversation. Be sure to follow us at Imagine MKE on all your favorite social media platforms and subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, here's the show. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of Black Imagination. I am your co-host, Kenita Hickman, with... Antoine Carter. How you guys doing today? I am good, Antoine. It's good to be back in the virtual studio, all up in the yes. Zoom room. It's the Zoom room. Yeah, yeah. Light your candles. Yes, so it's it's good to be back. We've got another group of six shows that are going to be incredible that are filled with all types of black imagination and um it's it's going to be a good ride i mean well let's i don't want to waste too much more time talking about me i don't know how you feel antoine do we need to talk about you we can set a whole podcast aside for that yes. maybe the christmas one yes yes we can we can so let's get into today's guest we are joined today by malkia stampley so voiceover artist um actress so i mean technically i feel like that's multi hyphenate um and so and and one of the founders behind this year's the inaugural Milwaukee Black Theater Festival. So we are going to get into all of that. So let's turn over to Maki. I feel like I didn't do your introduction justice. So tell the people who you are. Yeah, well, thank you both for having, having me, Kanita and Antoine. And it's, it's a pleasure to, to be here. Um, let's see, man, I'm, I'm born and raised. I was born and raised in Milwaukee. I went through uh, the Whitefish Bay School School District um, as one of the Chapter 220 kids, which doesn't no longer exist, but um, a part of that effort to integrate the suburbs. Um, went to Marquette, and and then from there, I've I've been doing theater since I was in high school, and uh, and I'm still doing it, approaching 40, and it's just and it's been my life. It's it's been my my everything, and I and through theater. I've been able to do voiceover and TV and film, and and now I direct and I produce, produce, and um, and then definitely taking on a arts leadership um, position in, in the last six or so years. So theater, starting in ninth grade at Whitefish Bay High School, you know, it was definitely a huge turning point in, in my life. And come from the church, grew up in on Tenth and Keith, and my dad's a pastor and. Um, my mom's an educator, so it's a uh, so I feel like I'm I'm in the middle. I yeah. feel like the church preachers are very performative, yeah. and are artists in their own right. Um, and then you have my mom, uh, who's definitely a presenter. You're you're a presenter as an educator as well, and she's a musician as well. So it's just it's in my blood. It's definitely in my blood. Wow, talk about some crazy nights, right? Like as a child cool music seems like a lot of uh interesting stuff happened in your household oh yeah and we we're a big family we're a family of eight and so i have six there's six of us six kids 
So that's already a ready-made choir right there. <laughs> and, you know, we grew up singing Sweet Honey and the Rock and uh, Bob Marley. And although we were Church of God in Christ, that Pentecostal, you know, my dad had that radical Black power in him as well, which contradicts in some ways to the to the Pentecostal church. Um, but definitely, definitely so an interesting upbringing. I earlier that I read in your bio, Chicago PD, which I have to tell you right now is playing in the background. That is, so I don't have cable. <laughs> so I watch a lot of the ION channel and they just binge a show like every day. Yeah. And so Thursdays in Chicago PD. And I have to say, mm. I have become a fan of LaRoyce Hawkins. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's wonderful. I'm like, who is this Black man? And can we do more appreciation posts? <laughs> like, can we just shine? Like, I've done the research. I'm like, oh, so he's a Chicago dude. Because the, some of the verbiage that he uses on the show, I'm like, he has to be working with the writers. So one of the things I was curious about in reading your bio and knowing that you were Milwaukee, born and raised on the North side, was there a moment or a song or a piece of art that solidified for you that you were going to move into the performing arts? Mm, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure if there was a, no, I guess there were a couple moments. Raisin in the Sun, the TV, uh, the TV production with what's this? More not Morgan Freeman. Oh Lord Jesus, what's his name? He did uh, Forty Eight Hours, and um, Sydney Poitier. Uh, not Sydney Poitier. After him, it was done in the eighties. Oh, the TV show. The TV show. It was a yeah. It was like a TV production um, before Puff Daddy, and it was he was right in the middle. Uh, but he he played he played Walter Lee and um, mm. the mama the mother from from Good Times she played she played Mama and uh, that 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 TV production was it was it, it was very special to me seeing seeing a black family in in this on the south side of Chicago a black family who they weren't. They weren't the Cosby Show. I don't. I don't know if the Cosby Show was really big yet um, at that time, um, and it wasn't the Jeffersons. It, it was. It was beautifully written. The, this this poetic writing in, that Lorraine Hansberry offered the world. Um, it just resonated with me, and so I knew that I loved the arts and the spoken arts. Um, but it really was uh, growing up in the church. I just, it was always in me and I didn't realize that there was something I could do with that until, until high school. And it was teachers, um, teachers who then later on introduced me to the Milwaukee theater community who poured into me and who cast me in shows. And you know, I didn't grow up dancing. I sang in the church, but I didn't grow up doing all of that because there just was no money um, for, for those things, but I took on to it. And so that like ninth grade year, being cast in Sweet Charity, that was the musical um, at Whitefish Bay, and being in the ensemble, it's like this is it. This is this is what I'm doing, and I've and I've been doing so, it ever since. You know, I think the thing that wow. that I find so interesting um, is that you made the choice to be in performing arts 
in Milwaukee where one, there aren't a people, a lot of people of color in that space. Um, but two, there really isn't, I would say there isn't a pathway, right? Like there isn't a pathway um, of how to be a successful performing artist in Milwaukee. So I'm curious as to what is the pathway that you created? You mentioned Whitefish Bay, going to Marquette. Um, how did you get to a place where you were a successful paid artist? Sure. Yeah, it's and success is relative, you know, um, but but it really was I don't know, a boldness and naivete, I guess, when when you don't know, you're willing to do all the things that you don't know. Uh, you're more willing to jump off a cliff um, when you don't know that on the other edge is you don't know what's what's there. And and I, I will say my brother was a huge influence. Um, and he, he went to Whitefish Bay as well, Nate Stampley, and he's a, he's a Broadway actor. He lives on, on the East coast and he went to UW Madison. He's several years older. And so going through Whitefish Bay, I, I was also Nate's little sister. I was that person and, and I loved it. I, I loved it cause I love my brother and I look up, I look up to him so much. And so that helped me seeing someone doing something mm -hmm. that I liked and I loved that looked like me. That was really important. And also in high school, I had a black, um, I had a black choir director. He was over the entire music department. He's no longer there. That was huge for Whitefish Bay to have Mr. Ken Daniel. Um, and he poured into me. And so it really is. Um, and then middle school, I had, I had a, a black English teacher. So it's, and those were, I think maybe my only few black teachers that I've had throughout my entire schooling. Um, but Whitefish Bay choosing to hire those teachers is what I know helped, helped me. And when you're able to see people doing the things, Mr. Daniel is a gospel singer and he tours. I saw him performing. I saw him, um, he gave me opportunities. I was able to sing back up for him. I saw my brother perform. I saw that it made it easy. And so I never thought about, oh, this is Milwaukee. I can't do that, do this. It was, I never thought about it. Never, ever, not probably not until the last 10 years did I think, did I think, wow, how limiting this city is, how much um, this city has, although helped me, how much is also trapped me. Um, but that came so much later. And had I grown up thinking that, no, of course I wouldn't have done this. A absolutely. So by the time you hit college, it sounds like the, the black elder, like mentor role, you had to kind of find that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there, and it wasn't there at, at Marquette. It, it wasn't, it wasn't really there. I, I came into Marquette, small program, um, and I appreciate the school and I did learn a lot, but I had a challenging time. I, I, I got pregnant while I was in school my sophomore year. I, I was, so then I'm a young mother trying to figure things out. Um, not, I was the only black person 
in my program at that time. And we're talking, well, there was one junior when I was a freshman, um, but that was it in the whole department, all four years. And, and it was difficult. And because it was difficult, I ultimately didn't stay. I, I didn't, I didn't finish at Marquette. Um, when I think back, it's, you know, I'm sure a few different reasons. I'm sure being a young mother was a huge part of it. Um, but I knew that I, and, and also realizing I was seeking community. I needed community. And if I can't find community and where I am, I'm not going to stay very long. And I found community with, you know, Black Student Union, or mm -hmm. that's when I really started dancing. Um, and then and other other leadership things, but that had, but it had nothing to do with theater. Uh, so so my time was time was limited, and I'm grateful. And I think it was at Marquette when I realized that being black, although it doesn't completely define who I am, um, it's such a huge part of me, and I can't deny the 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 mandate of blackness. I can't deny the need to be around people that look like me. And that's where being in Milwaukee started to become difficult. Because if you're doing theater, most likely you're the token. You're the only one, or you're one of few, or you're cast, not really because they, don't, they aren't really looking for a black character, but they like you and you're going to fill this role that should be white. And we're not gonna talk about it. We're not gonna talk about how this character is white and we're casting a black person. We just like Malkia and we're gonna cast her. Um, and that became more and more difficult. And so I, that's when I started to, to plan my exit strategy. In Chicago, when I moved to Chicago, it changed the game. It changed the game. Being, there's nothing like being in an audition room with 20 other black women who look like you, your same age, and you think it'd be really competitive and maybe in other markets it is, but those were the best moments. Man, just knowing that all these women are going through what I'm going through. We spent holidays together. And like I said, I was a young mom. So I also moved to Chicago with my young son and my husband, who's an actor as well. We were there together. Um, who's, he's from Milwaukee. And when we found that community, I was a, I am an artistic associate with the Black Theater Company that Chadwick was a part of as well, um, Congo Square. That's where it was like, this is it. This, I don't have to pretend, I don't have to put on, I can be my authentic self and still be valuable. I don't have to compromise. And when you see a community of Black artists not compromising in a market, it just, it fuels you and it, it in, and it enraged me because I realized I didn't get that in Milwaukee. I didn't see that. I knew there was Hansberry Sands, but I didn't grow up around Hansberry Sands, that theater company. Um, I didn't grow up taking classes with Kothi. Like I said, money was tight. So I, I wasn't around those things. I just had what was in school. And so when I got that community, when I got that validation, when I got that support, I had people pouring into me in Chicago and my husband then I was upset that Milwaukee doesn't offer it. And still to this day, it cannot, it does not offer it the same way that Chicago or Philadelphia or Baltimore or DC does for their, their black artists. And that's, and so then it became, how can I help Milwaukee? What can I do? I don't know. That's a bigger question that I'm not done answering. Um, but, 
but then Milwaukee be always then since then has become this, I don't know, this nagging thing for me. It's just, we got to fix something in Milwaukee. I feel like just my work isn't done here, no matter where I live, just the work isn't done because, because there are people in other places doing it and we can do it. Chicago is what, a hundred miles away? No excuse. No well, it's excuse interesting. why you we can't have that same thing that I want to kind of touch on, chat with course but also the idea of black affinity spaces period um and so these are conversations as i mentioned before um we started recording i was in a meeting with two young black women yesterday who are in a similar space in the arts nonprofit space and most of our meeting was talking about the importance of us being able to have time to get together and just be black and just be black women and talk about what we're struggling with, right? So like, you know, um, I think, so for some of my other friends who aren't yeah. aren't black, they'll check in with me. Nina, are you okay? We heard such and such. How's this news hitting you? But I think for people who are not black, they it's difficult for them to understand how things like this permeate just our being, right? So I may need more than a five minute check-in. I may need a few days <laughs> to, to just wrap my head around. And so, you know, being in this, so I think it's so important that you hit on the fact that you were searching for community and you hear it when you hear Dr. Mo, who is somebody who will be, uh, Dr. Moni Glisten, who is somebody who will be on a, a future show, talk about why she had to leave Milwaukee upon graduation and go to Howard. I wish I went to Howard. I, no. I, I wish, but it's not too late. Uh, me, too too. Late. Um, <laughs> me too. Me too. So yeah, so I think it's very interesting that you hit on that because I think that there are a lot of folks who don't understand the importance of representation and me being able to be in a space where I can see my likeness. So even the fact that you're in this room with 20 other women auditioning for the same part, there was automatic community built because you felt like we were in this together. And, and you know, and so I think, I think that's so powerful to name because I think sometimes in the work that we do yeah. when we are in um, multi-ethnic spaces, it's difficult to find a space to say, I'm just really looking for my people. <laughs> I just need to, I just need to have a moment to have have a talk. And I think that's why black imagination yep. for me is so important because I get to be with my people, Antoine and whoever we invite on the show. Let's let's talk a moment about yes. the impact of the passing of Chadwick Bozeman. I don't know how it's hit you two, but for me, it is something that I'm still, still in, like still in shock, um, still in gratitude, still in anger. Um, how being a, a theater professional and a performing, um, a, a, an actress, right, in TV as well, how, how did this land for you? It was... Oh, it was, it's, it's hard. It still is difficult. And I, I had the pleasure of meeting him once. 
Um, he was in a friend of mine's wedding, uh, speaking of Conkle Square. And, and I just remember before that, we were living in Chicago at the time, and I kept hearing Chadwick, Chadwick. And I think he was on, I think he had a recurring role on Lincoln Heights, that TV show uh, that Russell Horns, Hornsby played a, a cop in a, in a bad area. And uh, anyway, old show. And I think he had a recurring role on theirs. And he was considered a rising star. And he was Congo Square Theater's. Um, he was like their their prize. They they loved him. They loved him. And half of the founders are Howard grads, so there was all already that too. Um, and so meeting him, I was I remember being so excited after hearing so much about him, and then seeing his career just take off, and the pride that the Chicago community had for him. You know, with Congo Square and Chicago also produced some of his plays. He was a playwright. Um, it, there was there was a love, a special love that black actors in Chicago had for him. And, and then of course, you know, Black Panther and all, 42, all the things that, that he's done since then that where the world was introduced to him, there's a tremendous pride. And he just, to me, always seemed like the most well-rounded person. He loved black women. He loved black people. He loves black stories. He loves black schools. Um, my niece is at Howard. Uh, she's a junior in their musical theater program, and he was a big part in and uh, the changes in their theater department. It at one point uh, dismantled, and then they were just in the College of Communications. But after he gave the keynote address in 2018, he pushed for them to form their own school of theater again, and and it happened. And that's because of him, um, his his passion for for black education and black students and it, it hurts it hurts and it's it's not fair it's it's almost like it's a it's a nightmare because I want I wanted to see him man I wanted to see his plays on Broadway I wanted to see him produce and direct he was a playwright and a director first and you wanted to see him get back to that and to not be able to it's heartbreaking um, but at the same time his legacy, man, he's going to live through through all of us because we. you look at him and just in his short 43 years, he gives us no excuse not to pursue a dream, mm -hmm. no excuse to do all the things for our people. And, and that will, it will carry, man, it will carry through so many. I hate that we had to lose him to be reminded of that. Um, but so grateful for his life and his journey. For for me, it's raising a young black boy. He he's actually been a representation of the history. Like my son sees him and he sees James Brown and he sees Jackie yeah. Robinson and he sees T'Challa. So like like even that like my son, he has a a playlist where it started off he's eight so it started off with like all of the old town roads and it's grown into this like like he has the big payback on his <laughs> on his playlist and, and part of that is because of the movie and yeah and even when he goes to sleep and he has victor his black panther teddy bear next to him oh. like he he has had, 
for my son, he's he's been a very positive representation of class, of of elegance, of a black man, not just his dad, because, you know, kids never really listen to their parents. So another example of a strong black man, you know what I mean? So I think um, and, and even going I don't want to dive into that movie, but when you talk about community, T'Challa had a community, and I feel like you were feeling a little killmongerish uh, over the lack of the lack of community you had in Milwaukee, and um, and I yeah. think that leads to like you coming back and and talking about because you could have just stayed gone. You really could have and continue to mm -hmm. to do what works for you. And so yeah. um, when did you come back or decide to look back at Milwaukee? Yeah. Um, well, there's one other thing about Tadwick before, oh, no before we get into that. Uh, I love that he he never got swallowed up by the fame mm -hmm. or he was he, he always seemed over it not over it, but maybe, no, maybe over it, um, balanced, balanced, which is really important. Um, he didn't seem to, I don't know, you, I feel like when, when you become a celebrity, at least from my view, there's that turning point where, I don't know, you, you allow Hollywood to brainwash you just for a little bit, mm -hmm. you, and you usually, for me, just being a black woman, I see, okay, all right, when are they going to divorce their black wife that they grew up with and marry that 25-year-old white woman? You know, the, I, it, you see, you start to see those switches. And I feel like you just never saw that with him. He was constant. He was constant. And that was beautiful and so rare. You just, I don't know any others that made it to the level that he did. Mm -hmm. um, who stayed like that, not in this era, not in this era, maybe, you know, older, um, but yeah, he didn't anyway. believe He didn't believe the hype. He didn't believe his own yeah. hype, which is good. And also everyone make sure you check about your health. Um, make sure you go get monthly yearly physicals. Cause to, he learned about his condition in stage three, correct? Yeah. That's what I, that's what I read. So, I think uh, as black men, we don't necessarily talk about health, like, or getting checked or wellness and things like that. So I'm just, just wanted to take a little time to just make sure that people understand that health is well. Something so that I think that. in thinking about Chadwick and then I think we transition back to what brought you back to Milwaukee, but also your wellness journey because that is a part of your brand as well. I think that the, the one of the things that continues to kind of, mm, I think haunt is a strong word, but for lack of a better word, haunt, um, it's the reminder of following your due north. So I think, you know, this idea of knowing what, what roles or what jobs or what have you to say no to because they don't fit, right? And so when I'm teaching my branding workshop, I'm like, why haven't we ever seen Oprah twerking, right? It's off brand. It's off brand. It's just, it's not a part of her personal or professional 
um, ethos, whether she can twerk or not. And so, you know, I do wonder. Like, that ain't my business. That's, <laughs> that's above my pay grade. But, um, <laughs> yet, what? Yet, yet, I wonder. Yet, I wonder. Yes. Seeing that, Me too. <laughs> the level of excellence that he lived and the purposeful steps that he took to continue to lead that with his mm-hmm. values leading that, it was obvious that he loved Black women. You could see it in how Black women looked at him and looked at ease with him. Um, it's obvious in his continued advocacy in the education space, especially at Howard University. And now you're seeing all of these stories and, and things like that come out. And so back to Antoine's question about what made you come to Milwaukee or come back home to Milwaukee, I'm also curious about how that decision connects to your purpose. Sure. I So we were gone, I'd say about eight years from when uh, I, I left Marquette, I did a residency at Skylight Music Theater and then an acting internship at uh, Milwaukee Rep. And from there, that was my launching pad to um, did a show around the country and then in Chicago. And, and then it was about eight years before we returned home in 2012. Mm-hmm. And by that time, we, we had two other children. So we're a family of five at this point and living in, living in Brooklyn and loving, loving Brooklyn. But there was a strong sense of, there was a strong calling to home. Um, We love New York. We absolutely love New York, but it's a hustle. It's it's a hustle. Everything is a hustle. And, and we, I realized I wasn't able to do the kind of theater I wanted to do because I was a mom and my husband was traveling a lot doing shows and not that I couldn't travel, but it was difficult for both of us to thrive in our careers. And I was like, I don't want to just keep doing voiceovers and commercials. There's so much more to this. And so we chose to move back primarily so that my husband could could keep traveling and then I could have the support that I needed and then kind of re- uh, start over, reset. And in doing that, I found my voice. I Coming back to Milwaukee, after being away for so long, I saw, that's when I realized my eyes were open to, to the lack of representation, to um, remembering about that community that I had in Chicago and New York, even stronger in New York, and realizing that this city had none of it, none of it. And, and so then I spoke up about it. I spoke up, I found myself at working at First Stage in their academy at the time. And, and while doing that, I was over there financial aid and you know, so getting all the black and brown kids um, financial assistance to take their classes. I didn't grow up doing First Stage, uh, but I came to really appreciate what they, what they did with children. And, and I realized there's a lot of talent in this city and these young black and brown kids are just not getting opportunities. Not unless you have all the money and all the time to take all of these classes. Um, and so it, it just, it turned into conversations and conversations turned into me and a few others starting Bronzeville Arts Ensemble, a theater mm-hmm. that, that we started. And, 
And that, I, honestly, people people laugh at me when I say it, but I didn't come back to Milwaukee to to speak out about you know, diversity and inclusion. I didn't come back for that. I came back for family, uh, but while being here and going to shows and seeing all the talent that you were seeing that was black on stage, they weren't from Milwaukee, um, but knowing, okay, but Sherry Williams Pinnell is still here. Um, you still have, oh my gosh, who is this young guy, DeMonte Henning? You know, all these, all these up and coming artists who weren't working who weren't working and I've met them socially. And I'm like, what are we doing about this? Who's doing something about this? Why are we all fighting uh, for that one job in February? Because uh, at 2012, I don't care what nobody say, theaters in Milwaukee were definitely still only doing black shows in February. Um, and so <laughs> message, <laughs> it was- Message. Message. <laughs> like something has to change. And, and it started to, um, once there was conversation and yes, sorry, my, my husband is behind me. Go ahead, sweetie. Go ahead. I'm taping oh, right now. It's fine. Hey. It's okay. Hey. Um, sorry guys. This is my husband. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> he can't hear, right? They say hi. Okay. Anyway, um, back to, Back to just being being back here. I found my voice because there was lack, there was no representation, or very little, and and I and I still struggle with with Milwaukee. I've been I've been here, and we technically moved last year in uh, in August to back to New York, and um, and so we we moved back yeah August last year, and then we came back um, because of COVID. And we came back, uh, I was supposed mm -hmm. to do a show in, and we still have our home. We still had our home in, in Milwaukee, but we, we got a place in New York and we wanted to transition to New York. And it was a difficult transition just because New York is still hard. Um, mm -hmm. But once, once COVID hit, I was here in Milwaukee doing a show at Next Act. And, and then we decided, my husband and I, that this was, it was best for us to, bring everyone here. My son, who I mentioned, I had, who I had earlier, he, he was in college. Um, so we sent him here. My girls came with my husband. And then we've been here ever since. And, but there's, and, and, we, and we've been playing all summer. Do we stay? Do we go? Oh my gosh, what, what are we going to do? Just next steps in life. Um, mm. But then, but then is there work to be done in Milwaukee? And mm. I, there is, but at what price? It's hard. The city is difficult. And I think it's hard for Black artists who haven't left Milwaukee to really understand how difficult it is when you can go to basically all of the other larger markets and do better, even if it's just seeing that other markets value their local Black artists or they value local artists. And Milwaukee's still struggling with that. Um, I find that it, how artists engage with theaters or producers or agents, booking agents, there's an aggression. There's this, I'm trying to prove myself versus am I a fit? And that aggression comes from the oppression of not being included. And it's, do I keep working to fight that? Or do I, I don't know, just worry about my wellness and and move on and uh, and come back as I can. I, I, I struggle with it. 
I, I really, I really do. I love this city. I wouldn't have started the festival, uh, the theater festival. Um, that came out of a conversation. Just what do we do? What do we do? And we were like, a festival, let's do it. And that took up my whole summer. <laughs> we were supposed to be gone in August, early August, late, late July. But because the work called me, I decided to stay. And if something else calls me, we will stay. Um, will somebody call Maki? Yeah, so she that's, can that's where we are. <laughs> yeah, please call. <laughs> what is y'all doing? Do it for the glory. <laughs> But it's home. Milwaukee is home. I, I can't I can't stay away too long. And I'll be back, you know, directing and performing. That's fortunately because Milwaukee poured into me, those relationships are strong. So I will be back. It's the knowing, acknowledging and celebrating my value and my worth as an arts leader. Um, I can't afford to just sit and wait for for a nonprofit arts organization to recognize that and see it. If I if that opportunity lies somewhere else, then I have to take that opportunity um, unless I'm willing to start my own. And I did already. That's hard. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> it, it, it almost sounds I know that's right. It almost sounds like um, like you because you've seen what it looks like in other places. You always need to go there to fill to refill your cup to bring back to mm -hmm. Milwaukee. And and, yeah. and it sounds like one way is through the Milwaukee Black Theater Festival. Yes. 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 Let's talk Let's about, talk it. about yeah. it. Let's talk about it. Give us the deets. <laughs> so the wants it all, child. Yes. The, the Milwaukee Black Theater Festival um, was founded by uh, myself, Sherry Williams Pinnell, a celebrated actor, performer, director, head of the musical theater department at UWM. Peck School of the Arts, DeMonte Henning, who is the founder of Lights, Camera, Soul, and a celebrated mm -hmm. Milwaukee actor. Um, and then, and Brent Hazelton, who is the artistic director of Milwaukee Chamber Theater. Um, this was the end of May. So this was right after George Floyd was, was killed, murdered. And, uh, and we saw the uprisings and we're also then a couple months into seeing our industry in crisis and uh, the theater industry and the arts in general, as we all know, just, just ravished. And, uh, and the question, you know, what can we do? What can be done kept coming up. And I was getting a lot of calls from a lot of theaters in Wisconsin about, you know, the conversation, how can we support black actors and things? Cause the, the shift went from uh, exposing systemic racism in general to racism in the arts. And that shift happened really quickly. And I was, I was shocked, I was shocked by it, but it was like, okay, great. Yep, let's talk about it. Let's do it. And in doing that, I knew I didn't wanna do anything that was a one-time performance where we're paying everybody $50 to, to do their black monologue that they know, and then we can say that we fixed racism and everybody, everybody's love. I didn't wanna do that. I didn't wanna mm -hmm. do that. I wanted to, I wanted to address the lack of representation at the leadership level, and I wanted to address the lack of representation um, in, in the casting pool as well, designers and, and writers, and our local, celebrate our local actors. Um, and, and so Brent 
really was the only one that approached me um, who listened enough uh, that I knew that he was willing to back up any idea that, that we had. And so when we brainstormed and talked about the festival, knowing that we would need somebody to produce it, knowing we'd need um, someone to take the brunt of the funding for it, I knew that I couldn't, I didn't have the capacity to do that. And, and this theater offered, offered their entire platform for this festival. And so it was an opportunity that came really quick, but it's like, take it now, that what mm -hmm. better time, if we're all saying that we love black people, black mm -hmm. lives matter, great, show me, show me, support this, support this endeavor, not only just support black people, but support Milwaukee black artists. Let's do that. And, and we, you know, we were like, is this, what is this going to be? Is it going to, is this going to be huge? Is it going to be one reading? What is it? Um, we got together a few people like Tariq Moody, uh, D Luna and Latoya Sykes and uh, Barbara Wanzo and a few other people. We asked them, uh, a be free. She was a part of that as well. But like, are we crazy? Should, should we be doing this? And if so, are you willing to be crazy with us? And we got a resounding yes. Let's do it. Let's go crazy. Let's, Let's go crazy. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm so glad we did it. Like I said, it took up my whole summer, our, our all of our whole summer. But the product, I I'm I stand firmly with with the product that that we're offering the city to be able to engage about 60 black artists and arts leaders is amazing and through the platform of theater this is not general arts it's you know where it this is theater because that that's what we know the the founders and but to be able to engage choreographers and poets and musicians and dancers um and scholars, Dr. Mo, she she was a part of the festival as well, and uh, Cedric Gardner and mm -hmm. uh, Lakita Caldwell, uh, formerly of Boys and Girls Club. So mm -hmm. many others. This what what other platform in Milwaukee is able to to do that, um, and so it turned into quick, very quickly, a special opportunity, and just the stars aligned. And, and next year, you know, we hope to have it in person, and we don't know what next year will look like because if things are back to normal, now we're dealing with how do we corral people to one place? Mm -hmm. And we don't know, but, but with our limitations this year, um, I think that, I think that we had a strong offering to the city and I'm so proud of it. Well, that is fantastic. I think, um, first year in it's incredible. I saw a lot of traction, um, on my Facebook page from folks who were connected to it, including Be Free and, and Dr. Mo. Um, I want to pivot a little bit. So this is a podcast. And so even though we're recording through Zoom, people won't have the benefit of seeing you um, or seeing me, thank God. Um, so I want to <laughs> describe what I'm seeing. Zoom is not incredibly great for lighting, but I'm looking through the screen at Malkia and it looks like she's drinking all of her water. <laughs> she's listening to Dr. Mo. Her skin is dewy, it is plump, it looks like she's living a stress-free life. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about your wellness because you mentioned um, that, that, is a, that that is something that is really um, of interest to you too, being a yoga instructor, 
being a vegan. Um, so talking about veganism. And so I'm curious about, um, again, just as a, as a black woman, it, the intersectionalities, how all of this comes together. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, about this wellness. Yeah. So in, in college, uh, well, my, my dad has been a vegan since the seventies. And so, you know, going back to, you know, he's a church of God in Christ preacher living on 10th and Keith Tenth and as Keith. a vegan. 10th and Keith. Yeah. I'm, I'm from, I'm from 24th. So we weren't that far okay. from each other. My stepdad, okay. my stepdad owns the car garage on 18th and Keith. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. I know that area. Very, uh, close to Tatonia yep. or right on Tatonia yep. basically. Yep. Okay. Yeah, uh, my so my dad being a vegan uh, since the seventies, um, it was always a, a part of a part of us. My mom slowly mm -hmm. transitioned um, into veganism, um, but you know we grew up with you. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Tony Courtney and Zakia Courtney, um, matriarch of of the community. You know we we fellowshiped with them a lot, mm -hmm. um, and so we we just had that contradiction. The black power, mm -hmm. uh, black vegans in Milwaukee, and then church folk. Um, anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. But uh, but then it that seed always was planted in me, and I think once I was in college, um, that that community, that sense of community, not having it, uh, and then being angry about it, and then also being disappointed and shamed, uh, or being feeling ashamed with leaving school, having a son at a, a, at a young age, not feeling supported at my school or in, in that small theater community that I was in. Um, I needed balance. I needed, I needed something. And, and my dad would always say, you know, you, you are what you eat. And, mm -hmm. and I, I knew I needed something different. And so, you know, finding a great church in Chicago certainly helped changing my diet. Um, if I want to look good, I need to eat good. If I want to feel good, I have to eat foods that will give me that. And so I, I went on this journey just in my 20s, I guess, through, through searching for that and not allowing just a preacher or a Bible to feed me, but allowing how can I go deeper? Um, and so go beyond the food. Um, how am I moving? I feel like wellness is, it's not one singular thing. It's not just your religion or just your spiritual practice. It has to be in what you're reading. It has to be in what you're watching on TV. It has to be who your friend is, um, the home you live in, the neighborhood you're in, uh, the movies you watch. It has to, it has to be mm -hmm. so much a part of it because you have to guard your heart and your mind. And, and so being on that quest, um, that's where I found yoga. And, and found and, and allowed veganism, you know, into my life without it, without that, you know, childhood hatred for it. Cause dad, why can't we eat Twinkies and all that other kind of <laughs> stuff? <laughs> I, I embraced it for, for me and my family and I'm, and it, it changed my life. And it's, and that then became just a part of my platform as a, as an artist. And so, you know, if I direct a show, we're gonna do some yoga the, for the first half hour of rehearsal or, or stretch, and we're gonna. I'm gonna check in. Um, I pick my team, my creative team, designers, um, choreographers, whoever I'm working with. When I'm allowed to pick a team, I choose them based on the the energy, the energy they're giving. 
um, the balance in the room. The rehearsal space is so sacred to me. That performance space is sacred. And I, I do believe in protecting the artist. And it started with me protecting myself, protecting, protecting my body. And, uh, and that, that's been my wellness journey. It's so you mentioned protecting yourself as an artist, and I can imagine that artists artists focus a lot on their artistry, and so they don't. I don't necessarily see artists wanting to be like leaders in organizations because they want to focus on the artistry. They want to be artists. So, how do you feel? in kind of thinking back on how Milwaukee can improve, um, how do you think we can build the space or the energy where you go to other cities and receive it? How can we, how can we work to get artists to that point where they feel comfortable in just focusing about their artistry and, and authentic artistry too, not necessarily something that, because I can imagine it's something, doing something that sells versus doing something you want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that a yeah. question? There's... No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Yes. There's, in Milwaukee, with all the potential, um, like, I don't want anyone to ever think that, I, I think Milwaukee's not a great city or or there's mm -hmm. nothing here. Because there, there certainly is. There's a lot of untapped potential, and then there's a lot of potential uh, that that whoever is not is, is refusing to showcase and and not celebrate. And as an artist in this city, I feel that what Milwaukee can do, I think, it's twofold. I think for the artist, you have to realize that you have so much power. Mm -hmm. um, there's power in numbers. And there's power in your art mm -hmm. and you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for somebody to say yes. Don't wait for that theater or that newspaper or even your school to validate you and your art. Once you choose to be an artist, you just are. And find other like-minded people like you and produce and do something. It's I, I used to think, you know, I'm an artist and so I'm not going to get another kind of job or I'm not going to do that. That's not, okay, fine. You could be an artist in Hungary. Okay. Um, but what's the point of that? If you're not, if that's not helping you one on a basic level, and if you're not turning around and then helping someone else, you're, you're not doing what God has given you. Are, you're not reaching your fullest potential. And so you got to do it. You got, you got to do it. Stop waiting. So start that, start that company, start that theater company or start that website or do pop-up shows, some, something, uh, start your own gallery, um, a pop-up gallery, something you have to do it. And it's scary. It's difficult, but trust me, Pete, I also believe people in Milwaukee, we appreciate those who are willing to do the things that we weren't willing to do. Now, how long will we appreciate them? That's something else. But but we we are willing to celebrate those people and and you gotta do it. And then on the other side of that, our theaters, our our um, other performing arts organizations, and even our, our museums and galleries and 
dance companies, we have to invest in our local, in our local artists. You have, we have to reassess what these education departments look like in all of these arts organizations. If you are receiving money and you're not trying to impart a professional artist or you're not trying to birth professional artists out of these kids, that was one of my struggles with an organization I won't mention or name that I worked with. It was about, no, 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 it's not about turning them into professionals. We just want to expose them. Okay, that's great. That's great. But a whole huge department of your organization is about hiring professional artists. Where are you going to get those artists from if you're not trying to turn this, this class at MCP into professional artists? Or you're not trying to give them the tools to be professional. You have to, you have to uh, bridge that gap. You have to realize that the talent is here and until you pour into them, not with just some exposure, not with just an NPS grant to go into class for a half hour, um, but deeper. You mm -hmm. have to go deeper. Bring those kids into your offices. Bring those kids into your rehearsal rooms. Show them how to do sound design. Show them how to work the light board. Show them what it is to be a stage manager. Show them what it is to go through the, the process of choreographing a concert piece. Show them all of that in high school. Then like me, like, and so many others like me, they will, it will be more easy. It will be a lot easier to then go to college for, for that or to go straight into it. Like Demonte Henning, he went from high school right into professional um, performing. Why? Because people like Andre Lee Ellis said, hey, come here, I'm going to help you. Let's do this. And they did. And look at him now. And that we have to shift that mindset. Stop waiting for um, our talent to just come out of nowhere. It's all on us mm -hmm. if we want to celebrate our local artists in the future. There's a group, um, Greater Together, and they worked with UWM to do a report about... Um, creative and design jobs and the um, inequities um, based on race. And from that, it determined that if we really wanted to reach the same levels in which the rest of the, the state has as far as workforce and the racial demographics, we'd have to hire at least 1,600 people of color over the next 10 years. Wow. And just, and that was just based on, you know, just data from what's currently available. And, and it shows that there's a real gap in, in all of that stuff. The, the pathways are usually exposure, which is a short change to talent. Like you should try to uh, stretch talent as long as, as far as that talent can go. Like, have them reach for the moon instead of just getting your yep. toe wet. So I totally agree. And, um, yeah. and at least in my work, um, I'm trying to identify partners who understand that and who are intentional about really addressing the, the lack of a pathway or a pipeline for people who look like us to continue to deal with people who look like us throughout the process from beginning to end. And, yeah. and it's, it's a, 
it's a big endeavor, but I think with people like you doing what you're doing, it definitely helps because like I work uh, in a particular neighborhood and there's a studio, a music studio, and everyone is fighting for studio time. And mm. they haven't realized that, well, at least the group working with the young people haven't realized that you can have them be engineers, producers, mixers, like all of those things that can create a a, a bountiful, like they, if you teach everybody that, then they'd be able to, to self-contain and do their own thing and empower mm-hmm. themselves for like larger things working together. Yeah. So um, people just got to take advantage, like you said, and, and not wait. I totally, I totally agree with what you just said. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm saying also like opening up opportunities for the trades. And I think this is something that Antoine brought up at one of our meetings. Um, and I've been thinking about it ever since. You know, I know folks, you know, folks in the Black community who come and they uh, staple plastic up to your window or they come and they do some work on your porch, right? Like, how do we make sure folks know that, no, these are real skill sets Mm -hmm. that could be used in set design or theater, Mm -hmm. right? And so I've been having these conversations and it always stops at, well, those are union jobs. And it's like, okay, I get that, that that's possible, but how do we get the person on third and locust on Port Washington and Keith on like how do we how do we make the connection there right because that opens up so many doors for folks who this is another type of access now mm-hmm. right like how many set designers are of color how many folks who are doing makeup in Milwaukee theater are of color um I know a designer a young girl she's about 22 named Darnisha Nolan she built me a, she created a dress for me from a sketch to actual implementation for me to go to an event here in Milwaukee, right? Like round up. She told me her dream is to win an Oscar for costume design. That's cool. Like Ruth from Black Panther. But what is the, and while she was doing this dress for me, she was also interning in New York. She was, so the person she was interning with in New York did not know she was in Milwaukee and was flying out on a Sunday doing this three-day intern position for, um, gosh, I think she was working on some gowns for the Met Gala Hmm. and then flying back and finishing my dress. Our talent from the trades to, right, that these things shouldn't be happening because we should have opportunities here. So how do we get a young woman like her into a position to be accepted to be a costume designer right Mm -hmm. who's making the wigs and so like i think i'm naturally intrigued by those conversations because it's so much more than just being on stage it's the people who prep you to be on stage and we need more folks of color to want to remain in milwaukee because there's actual jobs for them um and that and the the gatekeeper there's so many gatekeepers that prevent that information from even getting out. Like, my God, if there was a guy who, you know, one of these old uncles who do carpentry work, like how, how different is that life if he had an opportunity 
to work on a set and bring his kids there. Yeah. When mm-hmm. you when you make it when we take away the elitism of the arts, I think that's where you open up doors. And everyone doesn't need a degree to to do all of these things. It's great if you do. It's great if you have that. That's that's fantastic. But most of these theaters in the state of Wisconsin already have such a great system in place when it comes to just costumes, for instance, um, for building sets, their their procedures for for sketching it, and then the the cutting the material, and then crafting with the muslin, and then and then using the real material, and then tailoring. That those systems are already in place. But when you, as you talked about the gatekeepers, when we take away the, or when the gatekeepers have a different mindset, when they, when you believe in your city and when you believe in these areas, when you believe in, let's say, uh, High School of the Arts or Reagan or, or King, where I know they, Generals all day. Yes, yes. Knowing that. They're my HU. They're my HU. I, hey, I get it. I get it. My niece went to Howard and King. So just imagine, Lord, ooh, help oh, me. <laughs> I just put that in a post a couple of days ago. Like, could you imagine if I'd gone to Howard and coming from King, y'all would, y'all would hate me because I would be in your ear all the time. Yes. Remind me. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> but, but those schools with great theater programs, if theaters, theaters in Wisconsin would partner with those schools who are, they're already building the sets. They're already controlling light force. They're already doing sound design and hire those kids, hire those kids. And guess what? Not all of these theaters are union. Not all of them are. The biggest ones are, but there are several who aren't. And so that's not an excuse that those are union jobs. It's not. I know a lot of non-union working set designers sound designers, lighting designers, costume designers, um, who are who are living, who are making a living in Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, doing theater. It's taking that gatekeeper away or changing the mindset and stop making theater this whole, you have to drink the Kool-Aid. No, it's, we have to take it into our communities. And that comes with representation at the top, at the top. If we continue to see white men and white women leading these organizations, they're not going to be thinking about how can I get those kids in Amani in the Amani neighborhood to build our set for this production. They're not, they're just, they're not, that's not a priority. Their priority for inclusion and diversity looks slightly different. But when you have someone who's Milwaukee born and bred at the top, or at least near the top, that's going to be our priority because we're going to remember Jojo on 12th and Center, who knows how to build a set. We're gonna remember him and we're gonna recommend him when someone needs somebody in a pinch and then hopefully a relationship is built and then he can come on and work as a overhire or things of that nature. So it's possible, there's, there's just no excuse. If you wanna mm-hmm. do it, you can do it. You want, you want people of color, they're there. They're, and they're qualified, they're ready. You just gotta, you gotta ask and, spend, and, just do and it. spend your money. Spend mm-hmm. your money. Volunteering, those days is done, is done. We're done with the emotional labor. We're done with showing you and giving you free advice. We're done. 
we're done with that. You can pay consultants uh, who have all the high degrees or whatever, but yet you're still calling on black artists when you're asking, how do we fix racism in theater? Or how do we change things? So while you're asking us, include us in your budget. Include that 17 year old at High School of the Arts in your budget. Include all of us. Absolutely. I'm going on a tangent. I'm sorry. I get so no, no, keep excited going. about this. Keep going. <laughs> We, we love it. And as I'm listening to you talk, I mean, something that Antoine and I have talked about is like, well, tech is a trade school. Like, what is what does it look like to get folks? And so I think we just, first of all, I want to thank you for spending time today with us. Like, we definitely invite you to come back anytime you like, whether you got something to promote or not, just come back. Because I, I know we love talking to you. Um, and I definitely think we need to have further conversations just as um, Antoine enroll and, and me enroll about, okay, well, what can we do to build some of those inroads so that this isn't just an idea of how do we get folks behind the scenes involved? Because it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, I'm going to let Antoine close out the show, but I do want to say, Antoine, I want you to, I just want you to just take a snapshot of this moment because in the list of schools that Malkia mentioned, there's one she did not mention. <laughs> and that's the one you went. Oh. And so I'm very clear on how she set this up for greatness <laughs> because the school that she did, and you tell your niece, Malkia, that she is greatness. She went to King and Howard, she is greatness. And I just, I know that all of God's glory is in her. I believe it and I decree it. So you tell her I said it. <laughs> what, what school did you go to, Antoine? What school did you go to, Antoine? Oh, no problem, guys. I went to the <laughs> to the Riverside University no, High no. School. Oh, Riverside. I think you know, you've never been in front of Riverside and you need to stop. Yes. Nobody ever said the, the Riverside. The never. best. <laughs> you know what's funny is that uh this is the, like the first this is the first time she got up on me on the podcast because like i've had like there's been like three riverside uh... podcast folks like we've had three guests so far yeah. i'm still waiting on that yeah. king guest <laughs> we still waiting on that so Marquia, before we go before we wrap up our our last question is who are some of your favorite milwaukee based artists and that could be in yes. any sort of medium or platform yeah. oh man okay first off amar and saroma uh the wonderful mm. painter uh, and his daughter, and I'd say uh, Kwabana and uh, and Jazzy uh, and Muhir Dair, definitely some favorites. Dasha Kelly, um, I I love and and respect. I've said him said his name many times now. Demonte Henning uh, is like a little brother, um, a force to be reckoned with in in this city. And oh, there's so, so many. Kevin Seifert, he's a young, a young singer, uh, musical theater artist. 
And uh, and Della Wells is definitely another one who I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. Um, Ida Cola, uh, Teju, mm-hmm. phenomenal storytellers, and um, and and then I'll say Zakia, Zakia Courtney. She, her art is through her food, and and I and I'm a huge huge fan. Her being a vegan chef, and uh, and and just a supporter of, of the arts. So I can go on and on. Milwaukee has some great treasures. From the, all generations, all all of them, just just phenomenal. So I thank you for asking that. There's so many more that come to mind. Oh, uh, no problem. And then, is there anything you would like to let our listeners know about the Black Theater Festival? Yes. So we we hope that we are planning for the festival to continue. Um, you can learn more about the festival and and what we have planned for for next year and the years coming at Milwaukee Chamber Theater RE dot com. Um, and and feel free to to I guess yeah, check out the website and you'll you'll find out information about about the festival. It's a city citywide event. Uh, we hope to have all theaters in the future um, be a part of the festival. This year we had several, but we're hoping for for much more. And I do just want to say I really appreciate the the both of you for for what you do um, through Imagine MKE. I feel like Milwaukee's still learning what Ima- Imagine MKE is, um, but I we really pre- I really appreciate as a freelance artist um, the the work. And, and the drive that you guys have for artists of all disciplines in this city is so needed. And we, we appreciate you. There is black leadership at Imagine MKE. There is black leadership at, black, at Imagine MKE. I just- I'm looking at I, it. I, I, I love it. <laughs> Sweet. So thank you so much. That was awesome. That was really, really good. We yeah. love you guys. Thanks for listening to Black Imagination with Antoine and Kanita. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars, share a positive review. It really helps people find us. Also, be sure to email us at pod at imaginemke. Don't forget to like us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under imagine underscore MKE. Anything else you'd like to mention, Kanita? You can also find us on Facebook at Imagine MKE. So, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you on the next show. All right. Thank you guys so much.